we serve an amazing God. I love what Hebrews chapter 11 says, that our God is a rewarder. He rewards. He loves to give. You know, I, I love what the Apostle Paul in the revelation of who he knew of Jesus, he says, our God is so good. And it says that he loves to give abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. How many parents here love to give to your kids? I bet you love to give your kids even abundantly more than what they ask. I mean, that's, that's the heart of a healthy father, a healthy mother. And that's the kind of God we serve. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm doing right now is I am sharing Jesus outside the doors of these churches. I'm doing treasure hunts all the time. You know the thing that blows me away? And, and I guess because I, I've really grown up in church uh, I, by the way, I haven't always been a great Christian. There's been a lot of times where I've failed miserably. I've fallen. I've been a weak man at times. But I've not always noticed something is that every time I've ever fallen or made some major mistakes, we have a Father in heaven who loves to restore us back. He anticipates. He longs with a smile on his face to have his kids come back. To me, Luke 15 is one of the most powerful passages in the story of the prodigal. When he was in the pig pen, and when he began to think, and this is the thing that brought him back, when he began to recognize and he began to remember. Everyone say remember. You need to remember these things. He, he remembered how good his father was to his servants because his father had servants in the house, and he remembered how the servants loved their father. It was the thing, it was the mercy that drew him back to his father's house. And it was there, the relationship was restored. It's amazing, when you read Luke 15, how the father came running, embraced his son, and began to kiss him on the neck. And then he began to restore him. And the Bible says that even when his son came home and he says, Dad, I'm not worthy to even be called his son because of what I did. I made some bad choices in life. The Bible says that the father said to his servants, bring out the, the robe and cover his nakedness. Bring the shoes. The shoes were so significant because only sons and daughters wore shoes in the house in that culture. So he restored his place of sonship, restored his sense of right standing or righteousness. Then the Bible says they broke out and they brought the fatted calf. They celebrated because it's my son, it says my son was lost, but now he's found. That's the kind of father, that's the kind of image God wants us to have. Can you say amen? Now, I've been on this series on, I just started a series on vision. God wants you to have a vision for your life. But vision just cannot be in it. If you could put that up for me, uh, Jerry. Uh, I want to just run over really quickly seven of the elements. Where are we going? A very important question. Go to the second one. These are seven things we discussed last week for just going over this. But we, we talked about the seven important factors to any vision. Starts with the des destination. I need to ask myself, where am I going? What is the call? What, what is the reason why I'm here? And one of the things I find that when I talk to a lot of people that have careers, 
We'll talk to people. I've been talking to a lot of people that are in college, university. Many people know that their career, many of them tie their vision to a career. There's nothing wrong with having a career. It's good to have a good career. It's good to have, it's great, and it's important to have education. We need those things. But many people have responded, even in my own personal interviews, they'll say, I know that my career is not the end of everything. Many people will say, I hope that I will find some kind of fulfillment or happiness. Many of them, I've run into many people that have, have been in that place where they have reached the, the apex of their career. They're, they're doing what they set out to do. Many of them, in fact, almost 100% of the people I have talked to in the past several months have concluded that, you know what, what I thought, what I thought would bring fulfillment in my career has not done it. How many of you know there's a reason why just your career cannot bring fulfillment? Because God did not create you just to manage your life or just bring money in. There's a missing piece. And that missing piece is being connected and rightly related with your creator. Yes. It's to know Jesus. It's not just to know the Bible or know religion. Many people believe that they have a relationship with God based upon an attendance to a church. That will not bring fulfillment. I've known many Christians that are burned out with church. And the reason is, is because they're serving for the wrong reasons. You can find yourself, well, I'm serving to please the pastor. Or I'm serving to get a place. Or I'm serving to get some kind of a position. I've always wanted to be in the choir, so I'm serving to get in the choir. Well, let me tell you something. That will be an, an, uh, uh, not a very good ending for you. But when we begin to serve because Jesus is the reason, when we find him, we discover him, it doesn't matter what area of life you're serving in because Jesus is the one that keeps filling your tank. We all have that need. and So we need to have a destination. We need to know where, why I am really here. Jesus gave us the roadmap to destination. And Jesus said, I have not come to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. Matthew 6, Jesus said, there will be many in the last days that will say, Lord, we cast out demons. We did many mighty works. There were miracles in our life. And Jesus says, I will tell you, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, one of the ways that we come to know the Lord is when our life is centered on his will for my life. That's what a son does. He lives to do the will of his father. And the roadmap, of course, is the, the plan, the word of God. Then there's the vehicle. What, how are we going to get there? Well, guess what the vehicle is? It's the church. God places people in your life to refine you and help you. I'm so grateful that uh, God has placed pastors, elders, leaders, friends in my life, and they have spoken into my life. I appreciate Pastor John Stanson and Kathy and others, Neam and Bill and others in this church. They have helped see things in me that I didn't see. I so appreciate the leaders, the stable elders in this house. Uh, and they're, they're 
They know the Lord, but we need that vehicle. The, the second thing is, fourth thing, I mean, is teamwork. How many of you know that you can't get there without a team? Uh, the first team member may be your spouse, okay? Uh, part of the other teams are your kids. And then, of course, those that God places in your life that are in covenant relationship, their pastors, leaders, God brings them into your life to speak into your life. That's part of the team. I need the team. I never want to be isolated. There's people that say, I don't need the church. I just need the Holy Spirit and the Bible. That's all I need. No, you need people in your life. The, the fifth thing is you have to make a decision. You know, it's not enough to just simply float along and wander. You have to make some decisions that involve execution. I need to execute certain things. Like, for instance, when my wife and I begin to serve the Lord, made a decision about God's call, we made a decision. And it was a decision that involved some serious costs, which is which is the sixth thing, is investments. In other words, I'm going to make it our decision. We're going to make a decision. It's part of our life. We're going to be in the house of God. When, when relatives come over to our house, I don't stay home because they don't like to go to church. You know what we do? We say, we go to church. As for me and my house, we're going to go to church and we want to bring you with us. Now, if they don't want to come, we leave them at home. Because when they're in our house, we want them to know, as for us in our house, we're serving God. I don't stay at home because friends and family are here for the weekend. No, they're coming with us or you can stay at home. Well, pastor, that sounds pretty cold. No, they leave and realize, wow, Ray and Carol, really this, they're really into this serving God thing. That's right. That's, how many of you know that's a good testimony? I don't stay at home because Joe Unbeliever comes over to my house. No, I want him to know, as for me and my house, we're serving God. Amen. And we encourage him. We don't put him under a guilt trip because they don't come to church. Or they don't serve God the way we do. But we want them to know that the kingdom of God we seek first. Yeah. Right. Amen? Yeah. It's, I think today... Christians today have become passive. Well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. And since they don't want to come to church and Uncle Joe and Sister Aunt and my Aunt uh, Lily uh, doesn't believe they're agnostic. So I'll just stay home with them because, you know, I'm just showing them the love by staying home. Actually, you're caving in. You need to say, you know what, if you don't want to come to the house of God, that's okay. We love you. Here's, here's some iced tea. Here's some bowl of Cheerios. Eat them. You know, but we're going to go to the house of God, and we'd love you to come, and we think it'd be awesome for you, but you can stay home. But as for me and my wife, we're in the kingdom. We're seeking first the kingdom. We're going to the house of God. Well, Pastor Ray, that's a little bit too radical. You bet it is. Because when heaven and hell are in the balance, we need to understand that we need to stop being this passive little pissy passy little primpy little, well, I, I just don't want to ruffle feathers. Jesus ruffled feathers. In fact, Jesus created a riot. He went back to his hometown, part of vision. He went back to his hometown of Nazareth and he actually rebuked his own hometown people. In fact, they hated him so much, they wanted to throw him over a cliff and kill him. Read it in Luke chapter 4. 
He went to his own hometown family and friends and said, is this not the son of Joseph and Mary and his brothers and sisters are with us this day? How dare this guy stand up and call himself and identify himself as the son of God? Let me tell you something. When you begin to move into the things of the vision God has placed in your heart, you will create an offense. It's not that you're intending or willing. You're not trying to hurt people. We know that. But what you stand for, what you believe, is not going to go well with people that may not be in the same core values as you are. That's where decisions have to be made. Are we going to serve God or are we going to be this passive, little, quiet, closet Christian that many are today? And I believe that we need to honor people, even unbelievers. We need to learn how to let them know that we love them, we care about them. But there's some serious decisions that are being made today that will affect you tomorrow as well as eternity. I've had some very close relatives in my life. They know what Carol and I stand for. We convey all the time how much we love them. But we're going to serve God. We're not going to back down. They come and visit us. We're going to the house of God. And it's not because we're pastors. It's because we love Jesus. Not because we have a position or a, a title. That has nothing to do with it. We love Jesus. We love him. And we want them to know that our priorities are kingdom priorities. It's going to be an investment. Time, money, service, and gifting. One of the reasons why you have a lot of depressed, discouraged Christians today is because they view God as some kind of a lottery ticket Santa Claus. Well, I'm waiting for God to just bless me somehow. I just, just kind of hope God, you know, opens up the heaven. You know where, you know my address, God. I don't know why anything. Well, it's because you are not taking some risk. You're not investing and one of the things that you'll find that only those, and I love what David said in his prophetic word today, what David was sharing, is a lot of people aren't living because they haven't died yet. You can't begin to live until you lose your life. You have to surrender your life before the kingdom and the power begins to flow. And I love what uh, uh, CJ was sharing today about how God brought a breakthrough in, in, in her finances and amazing. It's because this woman has been walking in the obedience of tithing. Not only tithing, but giving. God will bless you abundantly above what you could ask or think. God doesn't just favor people for no reason. He favors them, loves them, because they're walking under the umbrella of obedience to as well. So there's an investment in innovation. The last thing here is you're going to have to take some risks. God's going to break you out of your bubble. God's going to break some things in your life. In fact, you know what amazes me? And I saw this several years ago. It was kind of on, online. There's a lot of people that will do this. I'm looking for a church that believes the way I believe. I'm, I'm looking for a church that kind of follows into that same ecclesiology feelings. I, I, want, a, I want a place that just says everything that, that agrees with me. I want to tell you something. Following Jesus means that God's going to take you through different levels. And every level will be offensive. But those offensive levels, God never intended to keep you the way you are. He wants to change you. I remember hearing one brother says, you know, I, I come to church and they ask us to do certain things, but I, I, it's just not me. And I'm thinking, that guy's not dead yet. 
God wants to break you out of some bad habits that you don't even know are habits. He wants to break you out of certain inhibitions and fears. Some of it's pride. Some of there are things that God wants to break you and begin to make you a worshiper. And he wants to begin to move you into things that maybe you thought wasn't bad. There's things that God wants you to open up about in, in the area of just simply being vulnerable. Part of the vision is bringing us to a place where we are weak. Where we are weak and we feel feeble and inadequate. And then he asks us in our weakness to step out in faith and give thanks or to move into an area of service like giving and being a blessing. You may say, well, I'm an introvert. I, I'm not outspoken. I don't talk like that. I, it's not my nature to help people. I'm just kind of by myself. Well, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God will not leave you the way you are. He wants you to take things and transform you. Everything that the disciples used to be after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter become a prophet, a ministry in the New Testament that was a mind-blowing, history-making giant. It was not, he was happy to be a fisherman by himself. Don't bother me, Jesus. I'm just happy. I want to go to heaven my way. It's my way that I want to do. No, that's, that's not a believer. When you begin to follow Jesus, Jesus is going to begin to change mindsets. He will begin to change values. He will begin to deal with your emotions and your feelings, which are really anchored with certain kind of strongholds that you believe in that have held you captive to the place in, from the place that God wants to bring you. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, it says your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, it has not even entered into the heart of man the things that God has for you to them that love him. Amen. Now here's the problem. You will never be changed until you come to fully understand him and love him. Because as you love him more, he will begin to change the things you see. He will change the way you hear. And he will change the way you think in your heart. That's where vision begins. My eyes can't see, my ears can't hear, and has not even entered into my heart the things. And so when God begins to lead you, whether it's to a church or a pastor or a leader or ministry, God's intent, a true friend, by the way, a true friend will not befriend you and just leave you the way you are. One of the reasons, especially with young people today in high schools and grade schools, they will look for friends and they will say, you know what, you're my friend, but the real basis of the friendship is based, based upon a, a narrative that's all selfish. I like you because you will not challenge me. Amen. That's what they're really, I like you because I want you to believe the way I believe and the way I see things. But if you cross me, I write you off. See, a true friend, the Bible says a true friend is like iron sharpening iron. And so Jesus says, I call you friends. John 15, I call you friends, but guess what? Since you're abiding in me, and I am the vine and you're the branch, I'm going to prune you. A lot of people say, well, you're not my friend. I don't want no body prune in my life. But Jesus said, that's what friendship is. I no longer call you servants, but friends. Friends that are going to begin to prune. 
Now, we don't like that. How, how many of you have ever gone out and said, hey, man, let's go out and have coffee so you can prune me? <laughs> I really appreciate you pruning my life today. Just you told me I got a bad attitude. You told me I need to get my act together. I don't like you. Most of us would say, I am done with you. That's the flesh talking. I've had those kind of conversations. Many, I can't even count them. But every time I've come away from people that have challenged me in a loving, graceful way, it has taken me to a new level. But to the people who have flattered me, there are people that will flatter you, and the Bible says they are setting a trap. They are not your friends. I understand that we have to be careful. There's some people that may say, well, I'm, all, I'm here to prune you. And what they're really trying to do is destroy you. And they will try to hurt you. Yes. And they will try to be, uh, belittle you and, and put you in a box and say, you know what? You're, you're never going to survive because you're just a loser anyway. Those kind of comments obviously are destructive. But, but we need to really have wisdom in this because when it comes to vision, you cannot see your vision come to pass. The vision of God, unless you begin to understand the destination, the roadmap, the vehicle God uses, which is the church and a covenant community of believers, teamwork who are connected in that vision to bring the vision to pass. In other words, people are committed to you. So I want to see God bring the very best out in your life. Those are people you want to connect with. And then I have to make some decisions that are decisions that involve actually executing. Not just, okay, I've decided to follow Jesus, but I'm not doing that. No, the decision that involves, okay, I'm going to commit myself and my family to become a servant in the house of the Lord or wherever God places me. You're there to serve. My wife and I, we started our service years ago as being door greeters in Bible Temple years ago. We just wanted to serve. Then Sister Edie asked me to teach sixth grade boys. I said, I've never taught sixth grade boys in my life. She said, you can do it. I said, how? How do I teach? I don't teach sixth grade boys. She said, you will do it. <laughs> but, 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 but Sister Edie, I don't teach sixth grade boys. I, I don't know how to do it. I'll give you the lesson. But I wasn't used to that. All of a sudden, I started teaching. And as I started teaching, I started learning. It started to expand me. It began to help me grow in the, in the ability to articulate and communicate. I began to experience a little bit of resistance from those sixth grade boys. Some of them didn't like Ray Galligan. And boy, it began to make me mad. I went back to Sister Edie. I said, Sister Edie, I don't like these sixth grade boys and I want to rebuke them. She said, don't you dare rebuke them. I said, why not? They don't want the word of God. I said, yes, they do. She said, yes, they do. You are going to love them into the kingdom. Amen. I said, wait a minute. That's not in my DNA. <laughs> I want to take a hammer and bam, bash them over there. I mean, I, I was rough. I was rough. And I thought, I'm missing my calling. And Sister Edie, Brother Dick's wife says, Ray, don't you dare quit or give up. You're part, you're, you're, you're right now, you are part of the clay and the potter is, is fashioning the vessel. And God began to show me that resistance and people that don't like you are part of the shaping of the vessel God's trying to do in your life. Instead of looking at people as an enemy, you start seeing them as a tool in God's hand to shape some things in you. And I need to learn to recognize that not everybody that likes me are my enemies. Let me say that again. Not everybody that likes me are my enemies. 
Usually God will bring people like that into your life to help shape you and prepare you for the next level. Amen? Yeah. So important. So we're going to be taking risks. I want you to turn in your Bibles for a minute this morning and the other few minutes that I have uh, to Mark chapter 5. I want to, I want, I'm talking about vision this morning. When it comes to vision, we need to always understand that vision involves purpose. It involves passion. And every vision, every vision needs to be connected with people. Jesus doesn't give you a vision or a purpose just for yourself. He gives you a vision so you can begin to serve people. The end goal is to be like Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for people. Everyone say people. people. If you're into it for yourself, you're going to come to a dead end. But people transforming the grid. I want you to see an amazing story by an amazing woman. Let's pray first. Father, I pray right now that you would just continue to open our hearts and our minds. We thank you for the power of your presence, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you've come to reign and deposit something fresh in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you're doing something and preparing us, Lord, as your kingdom is coming. You're transforming our lives. Lord, you're opening our eyes to something so much greater than just the present situation or circumstances around us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're continually upgrading. And Lord, you're continually filling us and parting something that is so powerful and so much bigger than what we could ever ask or think. And everyone said, amen. I want you to see something. This is a woman who had issues. How, how many here have ever had issues in life? Well, here's a woman with the issue of blood. She had issues. But aren't you glad that when you have issues, God has solutions? Yes. Here we find here that when Jesus crossed over again by the boat, verse 21, 5, Mark 5, 21, and a great multitude gathered to him by the sea, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue named Jairus by the name, by name, and when he had saw him, fell at his feet, begged him earnestly, saying, My daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Powerful statement of faith. So Jesus went with him, and the great multitude followed him and thronged him. I want you to notice that. There's people today that follow Jesus, and they throng him. They're following, but just thronging. In other words, they're captivated by the exhibition of miracles, and they're following him by what's happening. Then it says, now a certain woman. It's interesting here in this text that the writer does not name the name of the woman just says a certain woman. Up above it says Jairus. Mark gives the name to Jairus. Jairus has a name, but this woman is not given a name in scripture. And I believe there's a reason why. Because I believe there's a lot of people today that feel like they don't have an identity. And they don't know if even God knows them. But in this text, God's trying to single out. The Holy Spirit's saying that even though you may not be known, I know you. And this is important for us to realize when it comes to just the healing of our identity. It says a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years who suffered many things from many physicians and she spent all, everyone say all. all. She was at the end and spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. How many of you know that's not a good doctor to go to when you begin to go and all they do is take your money, but you get worse? How many of you believe you change your doctor? Yeah. 
I'd change my doctor if I kept going to the same guy and I was getting worse. Here this woman spent all because she, she believed in him. She, was, she had that place of hope in her heart, hoping that she could get well, but she got worse, spent all that she had and grew worse. And I wouldn't doubt that she was hurt, burned, offended, just sensed that sense of denial, not only from the doctor, but in the religious atmosphere of the day, she was ceremonially unclean and she was renounced and she was unable to come and really be in a group of any people. Anybody that would touch this woman would be considered under the law, defiled, and she was considered under a curse. And it says here that she suffered many things. Verse 27, but when she heard about Jesus, she came. Everyone said she came. In spite of the confusion, the contradiction, the, the hurt and the pain, this woman was able to hear. She was able to really hear with the hearing of her ear. Not just hearing a message, but she heard, it became internalized and personalized. She heard and she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said, everyone said, she said. So not only does she come, but she speaks. Part of breakthrough is going to involve for vision. Here's a woman who has a paradigm shift. She hears, she speaks, and she says, if I could just touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Have you ever come to church with that kind of an answer? When I go to open heavens today, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be made well. I'm going to, when I begin to lift my hands, it's contrary, it's not my nature. I don't like to lift and stand up and praise God, but I'm going to do something that breaks out me out of the stronghold of my own pride, out of my own fear. I'm going to worship God, and I know that when I worship and bless His name, it's not my nature. I'm an introvert, but when I begin to lift my hands without wrath or doubting, as the scripture says, as a peculiar people, as a holy nation, to show forth praises of him who calls me out of darkness into his marvelous light, I will be made whole. It's part of breaking these strongholds. This woman, I want to tell you something. Part of vision means that you've got to come into a place of what I call rebellion. When you begin to believe God, you've got to rebel against the things you feel. There's things in my life, man, there's things, well, I just don't like that. It's not my nature to worship. It's not my nature to sing. It's not my nature to go to church. I just don't want to. You've got to rebel. Part of obedience means there is, you're, you're coming against a crossroad. You're coming against certain strongholds, mindsets, feelings that are contrary to the word and the obedience of God. You've got to understand that if you're going to experience the true vision and the fulfillment and the kind of breakthrough, it's not just going to come because you just sit there. You've got to step, take certain steps of execution. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to worship. I'm going to clap. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to change my mouth, my thoughts, how I hear, what I see. I'm going to declare that he is abundantly above all things and I will see my breakthrough. That woman who was a no-name, she wasn't even the point. 
She was not even the point of Jesus' attention. Jesus was not even giving this woman her attention. He was going to the house of Jairus. She had many arguments. There were many things that could have come in her mind. She's going, you know, obviously Jesus is too busy going to people that he calls by name. But I have no name. I'm a woman defiled. I've got, I've spent 12 years spending all my money. Where's God now? But she rebels against those offensive thoughts and questions. Says, if I can just touch him, I will be made whole. There is a rebellion. There is a warfare that is involved in pursuing the Lord. And a lot of people in Christianity in America today, well, you know, I've gone to church, did nothing happen to me. Well, let me ask you, did you press through the crowd? Did you press through the arguments and the lies and maybe the pride that's in your own heart? A lot of people stay where they're at because of pride. You have to press through and say, you know, maybe, yeah, I'm offended. Yeah, Jesus didn't come to my house today, but I'm going to press, even though he's going to someone else's house, I'm going to press through and I'm going to touch him. But here's the thing. What did she hear? It says when she heard, she moved. Whatever she heard, she heard something. It moved her. I want to tell you something. Years ago, Richard Roberts said something on television. I'll never forget as when Oral Roberts, he said something that was powerful. He says, you can never change your heart. God has never given you the power to change your heart, but what he has given you is the power to change your mind. Only God can change your heart, but you have to change your mind. Because it's only as you begin to change your mind, and this is part of vision, that you begin to open your heart for God to change it. If you don't change your mind, because the mind is filled with walls, Walls that says, I will not. I cannot. I won't. Your mind is filled. My mind has been filled. God will bring you into a problem to expose the walls that you have. And what you do with those walls, unless you allow those walls to be broken down by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, He cannot change and work in your heart. Very powerful, important. So we have to come to understand that I can change my mind, but it's only God who can change the heart. And so it's important. So here we find that this woman, it says immediately, I love the word, when she touched the clothes, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt, everyone say she felt. How many of you would love to feel something? It says that the fountain was dried up and she felt in her body. That's what it says. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus, knowing immediately in himself that power had gone out of him, he stopped. Do you, know, you, want, do you want to know what stops God? Is when there's faith. Jesus was going to the house of Jairus, but what she did stopped Jesus in his tracks. Do you know that Jesus was looking for people to stop him? He's looking for people. He's looking for church. He's looking for people. Jesus is doing a lot of things around the world, but there's certain things that stop him. Mary one day 
went to Jesus and said, Jesus, we're all out of wine in Cana of Galilee. We're all out of wine. Jesus says, what is that to me? Why are you asking me about the problem with wine? And then Jesus turns, or Mary turns to the servants and says this, whatever he says to do, do it. Mary, Mary knew the secret to stopping Jesus. And guess what? Jesus then turns and says, okay, take the water pots and fill them with water. Why would Jesus say, take water pots and fill them with water? Because those water pots are going to be turned into wine pots. See, sometimes what man has taken for one purpose, God will take it and turn it into another purpose. What was meant for one thing, you might feel that your life is just meant for one thing, but God, when he begins to fill you with his glory, he transforms the vessel and turns you into something else. Part of the transformation. But here it goes on here to say, but the disciples said to him, you see the multitudes thronging you and you say, who touched me? He looked around to see her who had done this, but the woman fearing and trembling, knowing that what had happened to her came, fell before him and told him the whole truth. And then he says, I love this, because he doesn't address every woman like this or even every man. He says this, daughter. He doesn't say woman. He says, you're my daughter. Because of your faith, I'm putting a new identity that you belong to the family. Daughter. Everyone say daughter. He didn't call her woman. He's done that with other people. But he says daughter. He says, I want you to know there's a new identity. You're in the kingdom. You're related to me. You're my daughter. I haven't forgot you. I have not cast you off. You're my daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed in your affliction. If we can go to the next slide up there, I want, you to, I want you to see something. There are three laws of vision, and I'm going to have to close with this. My time is gone. When it comes to vision, the Lord does not come to push or manipulate you into what he's doing. What he, I call it the law of attraction. It's the, the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom, the kingdom of God was about establishing a brand new identity of sons and daughters in the kingdom who would actually become and take on the very likeness of Jesus. When this woman heard, you know what she heard? She heard for the first time mercy. Doesn't matter where your sin is, doesn't matter how far you are, Jesus began to speak the mercy. There's a father who wants to dispense mercy upon the afflicted. Upon He said, the spirit of the Lord, Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. Those who are spiritually impoverished, those who feel poor, feel weak, those who feel inadequate, the law of attraction is that Jesus was attracting people. He was drawing them because the sense of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom was a message of mercy and it was a message of relationship. But here's another. It was also a message of restoration, reconciliation, and also a message of sonship, adoption. And so this woman realized that the message, listen to me, 
The message of attraction, the law of attraction, is where you begin to expose yourself to the truths of God's word and what he is saying to you about himself and about your relationship to him outweighs all of the other garbage that you have been believing in for years. The law of attraction is what breaks through your mind for her to press through the crowd, through all of the established truths that she was defiled, she's unworthy, she's broken, she's an outcast. She was able to break through all those mental arguments and lies and suggestions by the enemy. In fact, what even the law brought upon her. Because it's love that brings her to a point where she believes and she touches Jesus, not even realizing that as she would touch him, his grace would be stronger and the holiness in Jesus would begin to overcome the defilement and bring her into that place of right standing, peace and healing from her affliction. It changed her mind. It wasn't pushed on her. It wasn't manipulated. There was no threat. See, the law brings fear, but grace brought love and attraction. God says, let me tell you something. When you come to the light, that light is not a light that is intended to destroy you. That light is intended to heal you. Yes. Yes. I want to bring you healing. I want you to know you're my daughter. I give you a place at my table. Yes. Yes. And when she began to hear, it moved her. Yes. How many of you know that we need to be moved by the grace of God? It's the love of God. The second law here is the law of agreement. Everyone say agreement with focus. It's one thing to be attracted, but now I've got to come into an agreement. And this is what she does. It moved her to a point where she began to speak the very things that Jesus had been preaching. She began to say it, and you see it. She says, if I may only touch his clothes, I'll be made whole. Jesus said, I'm the living bread. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. Jesus is wanting to, us to reach out and drink and eat of him. When you begin to eat and you begin to digest and it becomes a part of you and, and all of a sudden it becomes life in you. And she began to, uh, she, uh, contrary to all the contradictions and all the things she had been know, knew and felt all these years, she began to break through in her mind, cast down, bring down every imagination, every lie, all the fear as she pressed through and she touched immediately. The fountain of her blood was dried up. You see, let me tell you something. The law of agreement and focus is going to also bring you into a battle. When you begin to agree with God, the enemy will begin to say, yeah, but what if you want, God's not going to pull you through. But see, you have to say, I agree with God. I agree. See, vision involves, first of all, being attracted and then understanding and being so full and being filled with the goodness and the love of God, the grace message as we begin to fill ourselves with the nature of a father who will never cast us off. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Those kind of messages drew her, didn't push her. The law forces by fear. The law says, if you don't obey, you're cursed, man. But when you begin to obey, because God says, I want to bless you. 
It begins to work on our nature. The law of agreement is when I begin to walk and I begin to agree on earth what is the will of the Father from heaven. I'm a man of, I'm a man of God. She actually began to confess and declare her healing before she was healed. She says, if I could just touch, I will, I will be made of, she confessed it before she saw it. Some of us, just like DiCarlo here and, and others that we heard this morning, you have to begin to thank God for that job. Thank God for the promotion. Thank God, Lord, you brought me into this place where I don't understand so you can bring a revelation. I agree with your word. But not only in agreement, you've got to get focused. You've got to keep your focus. I want you to see something here. I want you to jump with me to Matthew 6. Matthew, or Matthew chapter 5. Actually, would you go to the next? Uh, I want you to see what Matthew 6 says. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, your whole body shall be full. That means your life is going to be full of the wisdom and the understanding. Your whole body means all the aspects of your life will be full of light. But if your eye be evil, that also means to be double-minded. It means to, to not... It means to be hesitant. If your eye is hesitant, your whole body shall be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? What he's saying there is this, is if you come to a point where you begin to believe certain things that are contrary to the word of God, he says, you are really full of darkness. I never want to agree on something that is contrary to the word of God. So he says, the key to vision is I've got to be, have a single eye. Single eye means this, is I'm not going to make decisions apart from what this says. I've actually had people say, you know, right, you and your wife always say you got to pray about it and got to go to the word. Well, why? Why do you do that? <laughs> because the Bible says there are many plans in the heart of man, but only the Lord's plans will stand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to make major, and I don't have to pray about going down to the store and buying Twinkies. You know, I mean, sometimes I wish God would give me a green light on that, but my wife says that's, that's a wrong decision. So, and I need to listen to my wife. But there are major decisions where I'm going to church, who I'm going to marry, job change, relocation, how I'm going to raise my kids. I'm not going to listen to secular media. I'm going to go to the Word of God. Seeking first the kingdom. My eye is single. So my whole body, my whole life will be full of life. Turn to the next scripture. Notice what the next scripture says. Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see. In other words, vision doesn't come. Healthy vision doesn't come until my heart is right. I would never want to make decisions until my heart is right so I can see God. How many of you want to see God in your life? Blessed are the people. In other words, my heart has to be in tune, has to be in agreement with God for me to see the blessing of God. So in other words, my vision is connected to my heart condition. If my vision is not, if my heart, and I'm not seeing God 
work in my life, it's because I've presumed, I've made decisions without God, or I'm just so full of loneliness, I'm filled with selfishness, I just, I just got to do it my way. Well, guess what? You're going to end up a basket case. You're going to end up with a train wreck. God says that if you want to be blessed, how many want to be blessed? He starts out, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see. You're going to see God. That means you're going to see God working. You're going to see God operating in ways you never thought you could. But blessed are they that see God. Okay, now if we could go back to the, go back to my three points here before that. There we go. The last one is the law of expectation. It's one thing to come into agreement. I agree with it. But now you need to start expecting. Vision involves being attracted, not manipulated. Attraction, agreement. And now, Carol, let's start changing our speech. Let's start giving thanks to our Heavenly Father. Well, yeah, but all hell's breaking loose, Ray. It's it's falling apart. No, we're going to expect God. We are expecting. I will because my God is a rewarder of them who diligent. He will reward you. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when it comes, it brings life. God is here to give his people hope, but my hope is based on the condition that I trust him. I'm obeying him, and now my expectations are going to be fulfilled. I'm not talking about foolish expectations. I had one person came to me, no kidding, said, Pastor Ray, I feel that God just gave me the six digits for the lottery. And I said, okay, for what reason? Well, when I win the lottery, man, I'm going to really start tithing. I said, okay. I said, so you're not tithing now? No, because I just can't do it. I said, guess what? You can do it. I can't? Yes, you can. See, the issue here isn't about money. The issue is about your heart. The issue is here is you feel that you have to be in control because you feel your life right now is out of control. God wants you to trust him even when you don't see things working. And uh, the law of expectation means just like this woman. She lost her money. She lost her job. She had no trust in doctors anymore. But something happened. What she heard brought a paradigm shift. And she began to believe and she expected and she believed that God would heal her. That I will be whole when I touch him. I know it's going to happen. Amen. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm going to close right now. There's some other things, but I just feel the Lord said, stop here. So I'm going to stop here because I want us all to stand to our feet. Can we just stand to our feet for a minute? Amen. I believe that we're moving forward. And I believe God has something very personal, just like with this woman. She was not singled out. But when she began to press through, And she heard the message of the kingdom. It stopped Jesus. I want to just say, God wants to show you that he's moving on your behalf. And some of you right now have gone through some serious trials, some serious issues. And God here, God right now is right here to let you know it's time to move to a higher level. It's time to not only, as, as the three things we had up there, is that we begin to believe God. But we begin to allow the word of God to attract us. We need to be attracted. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to show us God's goodness, his faithfulness. We need to be exposed to that. 
then we need to come into that agreement with God. Verbalize it, declare it, and then focus on him. She focused on him, and then she came into that place of expectation. She said to herself, it moved her to speak. It moved her. And even contrary to the contradictions and the feelings and issues in her life, maybe this morning you may say, oh, Pastor Ray, there's some real battles in my mind that I need to just let go of and let God be the Lord in this. If that's you, don't you raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you right now, okay? There's some real battles in your life, okay? See your hands, okay? Amen. I want you to know right now, God is on your side. The law of attraction understands, first of all, he is for me, he's not against me. I, it doesn't matter what sin, doesn't matter where you're at, he is for you because the blood of Jesus breaks every curse. The grace of God is greater. The Bible says if we sin, we have an advocate with our father. He's a defense attorney. He stands on our defense, interceding for us as our high priest. He stands for us. He believes in you because of the shed blood. Then we come into that agreement. That agreement isn't just say, okay, God, I agree. No, that agreement involves a decision to make a move where you begin to change certain life habits. For instance, maybe you're not reading your Bible. Maybe you're not confessing. Maybe you've been a negative person. You have to begin to say, I'm going to start speaking faith. I'm going to start seeing myself as a winner, having dominion over sin. I have dominion. And then I'm going to begin to expect I'm going to expect something. I'm expecting great things. I want to pray for you right now. Father, we thank you for those hands. Lord, we believe that vision has a foundation. And that vision's foundation is the purpose that supplies a vehicle, that gives us direction, that, Lord, involves the greatest things that we could ever see or know as we become to love you, we begin to understand that these things are freely given. But Lord, we didn't take it. We didn't think we were worthy. We, we were not walking in a healthy identity. Lord, today we just come to embrace the identity as sons and daughters, even as this woman with the issue who was called a daughter. We embrace ourselves as daughters and sons in the kingdom who are rich, kings and priests. We are rich. We're rich with favor. We're rich, rich with the blessing who's blessed us with all spiritual blessing. We embrace that in Jesus' name. And we, Lord, right now, we tear down, we bring into captivity every lie, every word of opposition, every form of doubt or pride that contradicts the word and the purpose for our lives. We embrace you, Lord. Father, we thank you that you have shown us how good and how great you are. You're not a bad God. You're not an evil God. You're not a God who plays games with us. Lord, you love us so much. You prepared great things for your people. We give you the highest praise. Can everyone say amen? amen.